This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 22nd of October 2021. And Norman, for so much of this year we've been aiming for vaccine thresholds, like 70% double vaccinated 16+, plus, 80% double vaccinated 16+, plus. we're now talking about people aged 12 and over, so that we can open borders and start to live a more normal life again. So we're really getting quite close to those thresholds, at least Australia-wide. Some some states have gone past them already. Others, like my own home state, are lagging a little bit. So once we reach this magical 80% threshold, is it time for us to just sit down and have a drink of water or what? Well, spoken like a Queenslander, if I might say so, because you're, you know, <laughs> you're lowering your target to 80%. I thought the target was 80%. That's the target for beginning to open up, but other states have gone way beyond you in Queensland, way beyond you. In fact, 20% ahead, both Queensland and WA, who are not doing well at all. Whereas Victoria and New South Wales and the ACT are going to get to 90% or even more than 90%, particularly with the ACT. And remember, that's 16 plus. We should really be talking about 12 plus. Should we be talking about a target of 95% so that we even stretch that further? Kerry Chant in New South Wales, Chief Health Officer, threw out that challenge the other day, that why don't we, we should really be getting to 95%. And I'm not sure whether she was talking about the 12 plus or 16 plus, but let, here's the maths. If you get to 95% of 12 pluses, that's about 80% of the total population. So it's still 20% of people unvaccinated, a lot of whom are young kids, because the under 12s are around about 15% of the population, and we haven't yet started to immunize those. So it's still a lot of people unimmunized. And that's why your 95% starts to look like a reasonable target, even though it may be tough particularly tough in states that haven't had much COVID, like Western Australia and Queensland. I mean, that's awesome. 95%, you know I'm on board with it. But Norman, are you just moving the goalposts again? Like, we got to 80. Like, what more do you want from us? 80 was always only going to be a transit point. It was never going to be the end of the story, that we were always going to try and get higher than that. And Australians have done really well. They've got much higher than that, and they've got to 90% or more first doses. What extra bang do you get for your buck at 95% 12 plus compared to 80% in terms of, obviously there's more individuals who are protected, but what does it mean at the societal level? Well, at societal level, you go from 80, from 64 or 65% of the population covered to 80% of the population covered if you're at 95%. That's a lot fewer people for virus to be circulating and makes the place a much safer place, particularly when you open up, because there's not going to be that many people in the community to be infected because there is, you know, you've got a higher level of resistance to infection. Yes, it might wane. And if you put that on top of booster shots starting in November, as seemed to be announced by the Commonwealth uh, at the press conference on Wednesday, then you've got a, a population that's pretty well topped up in terms of resistance to infection and indeed hospitalisation. And you can look to Portugal and Iceland, for example, who've got very high rates of immunisation. I mean, Portugal, I think, is at 98% of 12 plus. I mean, I think New York Times wrote an article the other day saying there's no one left to vaccinate. They did a similar thing to us. They brought in a military person. I think it was a submarine commander in this case uh, to get things organised and certainly did and just pushed it through with a lot of trust in the system in, in, in Portugal uh, to get that sort of level. So that really good news. And interestingly, in Portugal, 
they've opened up and they've opened up to tourists and they've not seen a spike in Portugal. Iceland, on the other hand, saw an early spike after opening up, but they thought that was due to very early travel, uh, particularly to Britain for, to watch the soccer and also massive nightclub use. So there was a really big Freedom Day surge in Iceland, which they, I think they paid for, but their rates and numbers have come right down as well. So very few people in hospital, very few people dying and opened up. It just gives you that much more freedom. Can we get to 95%, do you reckon? I think we could. We get to 95% in the first year of life. Um, so Australians have shown that that 95% figure is not magical. So we've done it before. We do it every year with children uh, in the first year of life. We could do it with COVID-19 as well. So you mentioned kids under 12 before, and Holly's asking about that. She's going, when will we have a vaccine approved for children under 12? Holly has a one-year-old and a three-year-old in Queensland. She's concerned about them now that we have a date for reopening borders. Well, the reports yesterday from the United States suggest that in the United States, they're expecting approval from the Food and Drug Administration very shortly. Then that goes to the Centers for Disease Control, who decide what the program should be and how that should happen. And they, they're almost like the Atagi of the United States. And then they implement, and they're already talking about how they'll implement that through doctors, clinics, pharmacies, and so on, in a much more personalized way than going to mass clinics because they, they're thought to be a bit too alienating for young kids. For us, it's not clear when we could see the approval coming from the TGA. That depends on how they go with the application from Pfizer and the approval process. Could be the end of the year, could be the beginning of next year. We just don't know that yet. How useful are vaccine mandates? Like We're starting to see states doing it uh, and certain companies doing it as well. Victoria's got vaccine mandates coming in for hospitality staff. WA has started giving deadlines to people who work in high-risk environments as well. And the supermarket chains yesterday announced that they're going to start bringing in vaccine mandates. Are these useful? Well, I think they've got the potential to be useful in states which are doing things slowly, where they don't think they've got a problem with hesitancy. It's just actually giving people a bit of a kick up the bum to actually get going. And I think that's probably the best use of mandates there. Although it could make some people a bit resistant because they don't want to be told what to do. And so you kind of avoid mandates. And Victoria and New South Wales have got to that sort of level of 90% first dose or thereabouts or even more by not having very much in the way of mandates. People have just done it voluntarily. But there's really not a sense of urgency in Queensland and in uh, Western Australia in particular. But it probably is a way of ensuring that a large body of people are immunised. And that means their families probably get immunised as well. People will just come forward together. And it is the sort of boost they'd be looking for. But it's a double-edged sword. People could react against it. We've spent so long this year waiting for vaccines to be available. Supply's been an issue. I, I really feel like the, what the numbers that we're seeing in places like the ACT show that the vast, vast, vast majority of Australians actually really want to be vaccinated and they haven't maybe been able to before or it's on their to-do list but it hasn't been done yet and maybe they just need a deadline rather than um, a rule perhaps. Yeah, I think that's a good point and probably quite right. And certainly when you look at the questions coming into CoronaCast, they're not coming in from anti-vaxxers or particularly hesitant people. They're coming in, when can we get the vaccine? We want it now. I mean, that's probably some self-selection bias happening there. But on vaccines, Norman, we haven't talked, we've talked a lot about Pfizer, we've talked a lot about Moderna and AstraZeneca. We haven't talked for a while about Novavax. Where is it? That's, you know, what's the kids game? Where in the world is, um, is it Ollie? We're in Carmen San Diego. Where in the world is 
Neither of that. You know, we got the little—is it the guy with his funny T-shirt on and the kids' picture book? Oh, where's? Oh, not when you say where's Wally. Did you say Ollie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Go with it. <laughs> I love how finger on the pulse you are with popular culture. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm there with popular culture. Um, so where's Wally? Where's Novavax? Reportedly, they're going to be supplying vaccine to Australia in a month or two. That's there's reports of that. Um, the other reports that there are, it's just not transparent at the moment, is that they're having trouble with their manufacturing process. And that means scaling up to producing their vaccine. What is the vaccine? How does it differ from what we've already got? It differs quite a lot. So this is um, Pfizer's and Moderna are mRNA, sends a genetic message into the cell. And that's what Astra does too, but using a virus to take it in. What Novavax does is it actually uses part of the spike protein itself. So it's actually it's called a protein-based vaccine. So it injects the actual part of the spike protein and attaches it to an adjuvant. Now, an adjuvant, almost every vaccine in history has had an adjuvant. And an adjuvant is designed to be attached to the bit of the virus that you want to induce an immune response to, but it amplifies the immune response. It kind of irritates the immune system to produce an immune response. That's the adjuvant. And Novavax claims they've got a highly innovative adjuvant made with nanotechnology, which induces a much deeper, more profound immune response. And there is some evidence to do that. In fact, we in Australia did the phase one trials of both the adjuvant and the combined spike protein adjuvant virus. I think mostly in Brisbane, actually, those trials were done. So this is an effective vaccine. The clinical trials show it's up there with Pfizer and Moderna and could be quite useful as a booster. Every now and again, we get messages from people saying that they're waiting for Novavax or they know someone who's waiting for Novavax. Is it worth waiting for? No, if you can get the vaccine now, um, you should just get it. Don't wait because goodness knows when it's going to come. And the evidence is that in terms of its performance, it's no better than Pfizer and Moderna. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's Coronacast. If you have questions, comments or instructions for Norman on who wears Wally is, please go to abc.net.au slash coronacast and leave them there. And we'll move the goalposts a little bit more for you on Monday. (laughs) See you then.